Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast, brought to you by Flowpath. I'm your host, Griffin Hamilton. This is the show where I interview industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights into modern day facilities management. From hospitality to commercial real estate and everything in between, we'll learn what it really takes to succeed as a facilities manager. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. I am your host, Griffin Hamilton. Today, we've got Sean Boris, the founder of Gemini Pipeline Rehabilitation Consulting, uh, joining. Sean, how you doing? I'm doing great, Griffin. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, I know you're out in, uh, in Colorado, and I saw that you're a Colorado State alum. Is that right? That's correct. CSU Rams. There you go. You uh, you guys probably had the most publicity uh, in, in school history with football over the last week with Dion. Yeah, <laughs> sure, absolutely. <laughs> Interesting times there. Well, uh, John, again, I appreciate you taking the time to to come on the show here today. Um, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what it is you do at Gemini? Sure. Uh, So I'm the president of Gemini, as you mentioned, and I essentially help facility managers rehabilitate pipes, either below slabs encased in asbestos or in in areas that are predominantly inaccessible. Uh, And I do this on medium to large scale projects, so several hundred lineal feet and above. Um, And it's interesting, uh, pipelining or pipe rehabilitation really isn't that well known in the uh, uh, FM industry. So really I'm doing a lot of education as well. And that's essentially why I'm here. Yeah, no, and that, that is, you're absolutely right. Where I don't think many people, especially across the country uh, are aware of this space. And with that, how'd you get into it? Because it is such a, a niche area in facilities. Yeah. Well, initially, I graduated college and worked went to work for a large general contractor and built hospitals and uh, some school buildings, uh, libraries, etc. And during the downturn of 2008-2009, uh, I went to work for a large publicly traded organization that rehabbed oil and gas pipeline, but also did some municipal stuff. Um, so I worked there as a contractor for about 12 years and then essentially started this business seeing a need to rehabilitate pipes inside of buildings because there's really not that many people doing this type of work and the technology is readily available. It's been around, uh, probably for the last 25 years for, um, rehabilitating water and sewer pipes inside of buildings. Um, but really it's, it's just culminated from there. And so what are the main differences when you're talking about inside the building versus outside? Uh, is it drastically mm-hmm. different? Uh, much smaller diameter. Uh, I mean, there could be some water pipes that are three quarters of an inch, um, some sewer pipe that's one and a half, two inch going up to six inch. Uh, so really it's a lot smaller diameter. Um, you're going to use a, uh, different products than you would actually on um, outside of buildings, usually because those pipelines are uh, larger diameter and also they're straighter in alignment. So inside of buildings, usually there's a lot of bends, um, also a lot of vertical either risers or vent lines and so forth. So yeah, it, it is very much a, a niche 
Uh, I'm not aware of any other consultants in the industry that focus on this. And really, um, I, I see a need for it. Yeah. And with that, when you're talking, going back into educating and that being something where you spend most of your time is educating people, uh, what is the most common aha moment that you see when you're talking to people? You know, it's essentially when there's a broken pipe underneath like a slab of concrete um, and essentially fixing something without actually being able to, to touch it or handle it. Um, you're essentially um, leaving that pipe underground and you're pulling, uh, I'll call it a stint or something, uh, um, a liner in there. Uh, some folks actually call it like angioplasty for your pipes. So that's easier for some people to visualize. But really it's, it's installing a product that adds about 50 to 100 years of useful life uh, to the existing pipe that's potentially completely um, – cracked or uh, has holes in it that are quarter inch, inch diameter. So um, the technology is really impressive these days. You're saying 50 to 100 years. And I, I imagine the, the pipes that you're replacing are nowhere close to being 50 years old. You know, um, sometimes they're not that old. Um, predominantly, though, we see a lot of buildings that were built uh, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s with old cast iron or ductile iron. Mm -hmm. And that pipe, essentially, it wasn't designed to last till 2023. Yeah. Um, and it essentially, either you rip it out and in areas that, you know, it's just behind drywall uh, and somewhat accessible, that's not much of an issue. But if it's behind concrete, if it's behind tile, uh, if there's asbestos in the walls, um, really, it, when there's areas that, you know, become more expensive to access that pipe, Liners really are a viable solution these days. Yeah. And, and with that, I mean, what are some common issues that lead to the ne necessity of rehabilitation for these pipelines? Yeah. Again, like these pipes are essentially worn out. They either have cracks or holes in them. Um, sometimes uh, facility, these facilities aren't adequately maintained. You know, when you flush something down a pipe, it's just out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. No one really gives it any thought. It's either working or there's a disaster and people are, um, uh, uh, need to get it addressed ASAP. Right. Uh, and um, so really if there's a failure to – maybe it's an isolated instance. But if there's multiple failures or if there's uh, blocked vent lines, we know that there's going to be a widespread issue inside the building um, and – these failures are only going to occur more and more common. Is there anything that someone could do that's more proactive uh, or mm -hmm. maybe monitoring this before it gets to that point? Absolutely. Yeah, you can hire just a, a plumber, essentially, someone that has CCTV equipment to do a condition as assessment or inspection every few years. Um, and in the event that there is some scale that's built up on the inside of these pipes, uh, they can either clean them with a, a jetting tool that uses high-pressure water or a, a chain tool that spins centrifugally and knocks off some of that debris. Um, that being said, if it is neglected and there's really trapped sewer gases in the pipes – that's going to eat away and accelerate the degradation of the pipes itself. 
for metallic pipes, I should say. Right. And I guess going back to the inspection and that, that preventative maintenance, if you will, is that something where you mentioned every couple of years, is there an industry standard on how frequently that should be done? I imagine it's going to be case by case uh, and Mm -hmm. industry by industry, but I mean, what's a solid rule of thumb there? Yeah, I would say, you know, uh, it depends on the facility. Uh, I've done some surveys on LinkedIn, actually, for the facility managers group. And some folks, um, and I applaud them, they're, they're doing assessments every quarter. Wow. Uh, so every three to four months, they're actually taking a camera, sticking it inside the pipes, um, and seeing if there's anything wrong. With that being said, you know, maybe there it's every year or two. It really depends how much usage these pipes see. And sometimes actually uh, not being used can be a problem in itself. Uh, that really allows things to settle and then adhere to the metallic pipes. So I was going to say usage seems to be the, the biggest variable here on how frequently that should be done. Correct. Yes. And I guess with that, um, because preventative maintenance is always something that it's it's great in theory, but it's difficult when you don't have the headcount or really the time uh, to go and to go through all these different PM tasks and you have to prioritize them. And so when you're telling mm-hmm. me there's some organizations that do it every quarter and then some every couple of years, uh, I, I, I might be a listener sitting here thinking, okay, this is a, a great idea, but... Worst case scenario, what, how long can I go realistically without this becoming an emergency? You know, it varies on usage and also the age of the building. So it's unlikely if you have a newer building and everything was made out of PVC piping that you're going to see issues with that piping. But on older properties um, that see a lot of usage or sporadic usage, um, you may want to look at that more frequently once every two years or so, um, I would say would be about the norm that you're in a safe spot there. And then, uh, anything beyond that, it's, uh, you're rolling the dice. Uh, right. And you know, it's really easy these days on modern buildings that have good access to just pop a clean out cover, stick a camera in there and do a quick inspection. I mean, it's, it's going to take an hour or two, um, um, and that's probably where I'd start. And if you start seeing things like uh, clogged vents, um, where essentially the sewer gas is now trapped, um, that's going to be uh, indicative of a wide, wide-scale problem in the piping system itself. Hey, listeners, real quick. This is Alex Cummings, CEO of Flowpath, an industry-leading CMMS designed and built by operators to fit the scale of any organization. I'm excited to share with you that Flowpath now offers a tier for teams that just need core CMMS functionality on simple monthly contracts and at a price that makes sense. We call it Flowpath Core, and it runs on the same powerful Flowpath software that thousands of professionals rely on every day. So come check us out at getflowpath.com and see just how easy it is to get started with a software designed to fit your needs. Oh, and mention this ad and you'll get 10% off your core subscription. Okay, enough from me, back to the show. Got it. Okay. So that's a really good context there where you don't have to go and it's been a week at a time going through this to make sure that you're not going to have an emergency as little as an hour of your time going through and, and making sure that you're safe there. Absolutely. Um, 
and on that, so instead of preventing it, let's go in, into that scenario of, let's say when that got away from us and we do have emergency on our hands. Uh, what in your mind are the steps one should take if an emergency does present itself? So it really depends on whether the pipe's accessible or inaccessible. Uh, and when I say inaccessible, um, I, I mean essentially you're taking a jackhammer to either a cement masonry unit or um, a slab or areas that are underneath concrete sidewalks and areas like that. Um, so we can do a few things. We can determine if it's a wide-scale issue by doing this condition assessment. And if it's a wide-scale issue, um, maybe we take a step back and uh, we go and bid this project and plan a thorough rehabilitation of the entire piping system itself. If it's just a small crack uh, in one section of pipe, uh, it's pretty easy these days to just install uh, a liner. Um, and that's that's a quick fix. That's a couple of hours to clean the pipe itself, depending upon how, how much scale and tuberculation has built uh, or collected on the interior diameter of the pipe. And then lining it's pretty quick. Uh, with a UV-cured CIPP liner, that takes... 20 minutes to actually cure itself. Um, so really the pipe itself is at a commission for less than a half a day. And that could range anywhere from $2,500 to $3,500. Um, and if you were to uh, excavate it and uh, replace it with a new PVC pipe, again, if it's in a wall, um, you know, that's, that's only a several hundred dollar fix. Um, so really, it varies depending upon where it is in your building, the severity of it, um, and emergencies. There's no doubt about no doubt about it. If you call a plumber, and plumbers in, are in really high demand right now, um, they're going to charge an emergency uh, fee to come and do this. Um, and but if you can essentially plan to shut this down, schedule a time to have them come out. Um, you could save as much as 50%. It's it's pretty shocking um, what people are charging for emergency visits. And you're saying to eliminate the whole need for the quote-unquote emergency visit, I mean, shut down the, the pipe immediately and then actually try to schedule them to come out. Right, exactly. And, you know, emergencies can be um, – talk about like insurance claims – if these are, uh, let's say, in a multi-level unit, and let's say this is a, a condominium complex, if you have raw sewage running into people's units, um, and obviously it's it's going to become an insurance nightmare, it's probably going to be a lawsuit. So um, it's important that, yeah, these pipes are not taken for granted. They are, in fact, uh, inspected. Uh, again, um Actually pouring uh, stuff like Drano down these metallic pipes that are old, that can do more harm than good. There's other products in there like a, a biodegradable um, solution essentially that eats away at organic matter that's less aggressive and is less likely to damage and destroy these metallic pipes. Interesting. Yeah. So just being conscious and, and just being aware of what exactly you're putting down the pipes. You might be thinking you're doing some solid uh, uh, maintenance or resolving some issues there using Drano type technology uh, mm -hmm. or chemicals, and that's just doing long-term harm uh, more than <laughs> that short-term good. Right. Um, that's interesting. 
so and you mentioned biodegradable is that something when you are looking at different chemicals uh that is the number one priority that you have when you're evaluating and choosing different solutions oh geez there's so many different variables um so when you're looking at a lining solution um you want to take a look at access so can you actually install a liner without actually cutting open walls uh it'd be nice if you can actually just remove a toilet flange uh, and use that as an insertion and pull to a clean out. Um, and then essentially, again, this is like installing um, uh, a sleeve or so forth. And that's going to last 50 to 100 years. It's almost like a, a PVC type material, very smooth, very thin wall. Uh, so it's not going to impact the flow capability of the system itself. Uh, and then the nice thing about this, just like with PVC, uh, you're not going to need to clean it as much because things aren't going to be as likely to adhere to that. But that being said, if there is a, a clog or so forth, you can still snake it um, or uh, you can use this uh, bio one um, uh, material essentially to, to clean the lines. Uh, and that, that's a great solution for uh, maintaining the, the newly lined pipe. Without the potential of that long-term harm that we, we exactly mm -hmm. got it. Okay, that that makes sense. And I guess switching gears a, a little bit here, as far as looking ahead, because you mentioned the technology and how it's changed, uh, and the pipes you're replacing, you're replacing with material that's expected to last fifty to hundred years. Uh, as the industry continues to evolve and the technology continues to evolve, uh, how do you see it changing over the next? you know, a few decades. Yeah. So looking back, um, people, uh, I think are very familiar with just replacement and that's essentially the, the first thing that's going to pop in their mind. And they're less likely to think about using a liner. Um, with this day and age, uh, lining is so fast, uh, again, with like a, a curable product, a curable resin, uh, and it takes less than an hour or two to cure these types of products. Um, it's going to be a lot quicker than replacing and ultimately less expensive. Um, and right now, um, I mean, the old school thought is, and this isn't just for facility managers, but for plumbers too, uh, let's rip it out, let's replace it. Um, and a lot of plumbers don't necessarily have the experience or even the um, can afford the upfront tooling to do these types of projects. Um, the tooling right now is probably between one hundred and fifty to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to get the equipment to install these liners. Um, so there's my hope is that people one become more aware of how good this technology is that um, um, they hire experienced folks that can actually do these types of projects. Because it's one thing to have a great technology, but if um, somebody who's not familiar with it can't execute these projects, it's only going to give this technology a bad name. Um, mm. So I would be reluctant maybe to go with somebody who, um, yeah, says they can probably do it versus somebody who does this day in and day out. Uh, because, again, you're not actually seeing these pipes itself. You're looking at them through a, a CCTV camera. Um, and there's a lot of issues that you can run into. And the last thing you want to do is 
try to go down this path of lining and then all of a sudden something doesn't work and then you're ultimately uh, concrete or jackhammering out the concrete and then just replacing it itself. So um, I think uh, education is key, just talking about it and making sure people understand the capabilities of these liners. Um, they're not going to magically fix um, pipe that was poorly designed. So if there's a pipe that's backsloped, meaning it's not going to drain through gravity, um, it's it's not a magic tool. It's not going to be able to fix that. Uh, right. But in areas where uh, you know you have a crack underneath a, a slab and um, there's access, it's certainly a viable solution. And um, I, I think people are going to one, be impressed with the technology and then ultimately be impressed with the price to do this work and how quickly it is. Because again, it's these pipes are only going to be out of service for a matter of hours versus days mm-hmm. if you're um, if you have a crack and it takes a long time to fix it. To me, that's one of the more surprising uh, things that you've mentioned is how quick of a turnaround that is. Because I, I imagine uh, talking to customers out there or, or people that are just interested there, the assumption is it's going to be days or, or maybe even a week. And then you're talking hours. I'm sure that's uh, are you sure? <laughs> are you yeah. sure it's only going to take a couple hours? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Initially when this technology came available, uh, it would cure and it would just essentially take eight to 12 hours for this epoxy to harden, just like concrete. Um, mm-hmm. With that being said, there's been advances in this technology where you can either use steam and with the advent of UV or ultraviolet light reacting with the resin, it essentially cooks it really, really quickly. Um, It's not uncommon to uh, have a UV light cook liner for 10 minutes and it's, it's hard now. So um, yeah, it's only been with the advent of this UV in the last five years that uh, I've been able to say to customers, you know, we can get this back up and running in a matter of hours. Yeah, that, that's incredible. Um, well, Sean, this has been extremely informative. And I, I have one last question for you. And I ask everybody, and that is who or what has had the biggest impact on you and your career? Wow. Um, <laughs> I've had so many good mentors. Um you know, I, I honestly think it was uh, somebody, uh, my former boss, his name was Dorman Hahn, uh, and he used to run essentially um, uh, this division of Aegean that I worked for. It, he also ran in situ form, uh, which did a lot of cured in place lining. And uh, really, he's been a big supporter of me and helped. I actually had coffee with him this morning just to, to talk with him and see how things are going. Um, so yeah, he's really been uh, a valuable mentor, and I think it's important in this day and age to have mentors um, because you know it's 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 good to have a sounding board and also to have somebody who's not afraid to give you their honest opinion and feedback because uh, you know it's it's important to to have that and if you can trust them and if they can say you know you're going the wrong way or I, I don't like questioning it maybe that will um, help get you back on track. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Uh, well, Sean, I, I know you and I are, are personally going to be seeing each other in uh, less than a week here at uh, IFMA World Workplace. Uh, so I'm excited to, to meet in person. And, and I'd certainly appreciate you coming on the show today and talking shop. And uh, in the show notes for uh, those interested in reaching out to you and learning more about 
what you're doing and learning more about uh, Jim and I. I'll have that linked in the show notes. But uh, until next time, uh, be good, Sean. Thanks, Griffin. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and follow us on LinkedIn for more facilities management content.